0: How priceless is your unfailing and amazing love. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of his word, which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. Almighty Father, we come before you in your presence with reverence and awe, acknowledging your sovereignty over all of creation. Grant us the grace to humble ourselves before you. your word pierce through the hardness of our hearts convicting us of our transgressions and leading us to true repentance grant us ears to hear your truth and hearts to incline and obey your commands reveal to us the depths of your mercy and the riches of your grace open our eyes to behold the beauty of your holiness and the wonder of your love displayed in the gift of your son our savior jesus christ we pray amen please be seated you may have, some of you may have missed it but just a, a few days ago news broke that the russians russia is developing a space based nuclear weapon system, a space-based nuclear weapon system that the U.S., that the United States does not have the ability to counter. It just came out. You may have heard about it, perhaps. This weapon system that they're developing is intended to attack other satellites that are up there, and there's hundreds of satellites up there. And so they're intending to attack other satellites, potentially crippling our ability to do surveillance, to do space born surveillance. It also is going to hinder civilian communication and the military's ability to coordinate controlled counterstrikes. So it's a military ploy on, on their part. Now, to this point, It does not appear that they're going to put nuclear weapons up there, but they're going to have the ability to strike other satellites. Uh, They're not intending to strike ground targets. Russia does not appear ready yet, but they're, you know, they're breaking ground. They're 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 developing a timeline to get ready. Now, should Russia or anyone else, even the U.S., put nuclear weapons in space, that would violate a treaty that Russia and China and the U.S. and uh, and a few other countries have signed not to do that. And that treaty was uh, signed back in 1967. And surely we won't break a treaty, will we? Well, just think about it. The ability to destroy us The ability to destroy the USA, us, where we live, where we are at right now, is is incredible. But even when we think about it, we see that this is the, what they're trying to do is to destroy and put out our technology, to destroy our technology, and think about that for a second, and think about how much we use Our technology, our whole country depends on our technology. Each of us probably has a cell phone. That's technology. So it's not just national defense that's that's at stake here. It's just, it's also the technology that we use day in and day out. Now think about the the, the satellite technology and what they're, they're uh, an integral part of modern life think about what your life would be like without this technology without cell phone without computers without any television what would your life be like if there were to, if, if if our satellite capability was to be impacted or destroyed it would certainly impact our phones and our television broadcast it would certainly impact our weather forecasting our navigation system, the GPS. Some of you probably had to put our address to this place on your GPS just to find this place. And then you probably passed it anyway. But so that it would impact that. Remote censoring of cameras that capture images remotely from satellites. It'll impact. Oh, here it comes. Here. It'll impact television broadcast. Ooh, that's going to really impact our lives, some of our lives. Unless you're like some people I know that watch your TV on your phone, but even that would be impacted. Radio broadcast, internet access. Overall, satellite technology has become an indispensable part of our lives every day, of our society. There we say it. There we say that we have reached the point where we depend on the world and on the things of the world more than we depend on God Himself. Upon personal reflection, our own personal reflection, we love our personal gadgets, our devices, our games, we communicate with our friends through our games. And most of the time, that consumes our time. <clears throat> we love our phones, we love our electronic devices. We love what the world has to offer us more than we love God. Now that we dare we say that wow, that's a big statement. But if you don't believe that, log it. Log how much time you spend away from God. Now, I'm not saying, even though Scripture calls us to pray without ceasing, I'm not saying that every moment you're going to be entangled in in, in being engaged with God, but he should always be on your mind. When you walk this spiritual walk called sanctification, he should always be on your mind, you should seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So in everything that you do, whether you play sports, whether you play games, whether you what live life, whether you have a relationship with your wives, your friends, in everything you do, you seek first His kingdom. He's always on your mind and His righteousness. That's what, what that's what we're talking about. That's what Scripture is talking about. Now, if we don't, and we depend on other things like the satellite stuff with Russia. If we're depending on politicians to come up and and, and resolve this, which we would pray for our politicians to do that. Okay, that's okay. Diplomacy is good. But if we're depending on our politicians to resolve this more than we depend on God to take care of us, then we're worshiping an idol. Then we've idolized our politicians. Then we've idolized the world. And if we idolize the world, if we put, if we made idols of the world, we're idol worshipers. So as Christians, as Christians, as true believers, when we love the things of the world, we idolize the things of the world more than God, we are doing what? We are committing spiritual adultery. We really hit that hard last Sunday. We talked about that to exhaustion, but we're still in it. We're still in the book of Hosea. But so when we do that, we're committing spiritual adultery, the Bible. When it comes to the relationship with Christ and his church in the Bible, it is likened to a marriage, the marriage with the bridegroom being Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we, the bride. We are the bride. We, his church, are the bride. That's that's intentional. It's very intimate. These are not just mere words that we just say. And it's easy for us to say that, okay? It is. Especially here in the U.S., 50% of the marriages end up in divorce. And that includes Christian marriages. So it's real easy to say, bride and bridegroom, it's nothing, it's nothing. But it's very intimate in the Word of God and God's relationship with His people. When we place our trust in the world to protect us from destruction rather than God, then we're committing spiritual idolatry. Again, hear what I'm saying. It is not that we don't pray for our government and our government officials. It's not that we don't pray for the mock diplomacy. We do, but we don't. That doesn't oversee or it doesn't override our, our intent or God or our trust in the Lord. That is first. He is always first and foremost. The relationship with God and his people is very intimate extremely intimate extremely intimate when we turn and look to the world as our primary source of wants and needs when we turn to politicians and this next coming election thinking everything's going to be okay with the economy and everything else we would pray for that but when we depend on that when we depend on our technology to be the answer for everything when we depend on relationships even worldly religion relationships that call us to pray to, if any worldly religion relates, uh, calls us to pray to, to angels or to objects or to even people that are alive, that is idolatry. That's idolatry. When we do this, because we're Christians, we're committing spiritual adultery. Very personal. Very harsh. In our passage today, in the book of the prophet Hosea, it is clear that the northern kingdom, and we talked about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, the 12, uh, 10 tribes, northern tribes were called Israel, and the two southern uh, tribes, two tribes were called, in the southern kingdom were called Judah. Well, here in this passage, It is specifically talking about the northern kingdom committing spiritual adultery against the true and living God. What is going on is that the prophet Hosea is giving the northern kingdom a warning from God. God is giving the northern kingdom a warning. Just like today when we read God's word and he tells us that if we worship People, if we worship this country, we put anything before him, we're committing adultery. Well, here Hosea is giving the northern kingdom and southern, but mainly the northern here, a warning that's coming from God himself, the true and living God. Our text. In our text, God uses Hosea to accuse the northern kingdom of Israel of committing spiritual adultery. The people are committing spiritual adultery by worshiping false gods, and they were. They would worship the gods of the land, the gods that, that they knew about. Oh, also, they would worship Yahweh too, just in case, right? Have you ever, do you know anybody like that? Well, just in case, just in case Jesus doesn't really love me, maybe he's mad at me, I need to probably go worship and do all this other stuff too, just in case. And you know what? My grandma said it was okay, so it's probably okay. Wow. Now it's getting personal, right? Well, a spiritual doctrine is very personal, and that's what God considers it. Regardless of who tells you, I realize that we trust the people who brought us up. We trust the people that we're supposed to trust. Our parents, our our priests, uh, and people that we are supposed to trust, they teach us what we're growing up, and we learn to trust them, and we go to the God's Word, and we go, and God's Word says, don't do that. That's wrong. So what do you do? You have a dilemma. So how do you settle that dilemma? You settle it the way God's Word tells us. If it's anything other than the true living God saying that, and you believe something else, and you put that person or that whatever, in that place, you are committing spiritual adultery. You are sinning against the true and living God. Hosea is telling that to the northern kingdom. They're committing spiritual adultery. The people are committing adultery by worshiping false idols. They are prostituting, defiling themselves with other lovers. That's what this passage is telling us. It is that graphic. It's very graphic. This is what rated R is it rated R now, or is it maturity, mature audience? This is it. This is it. It is graphic, it is very real. As our pot, as our uh, passage, as our text tells us, they're committing whoredom with the world. In verse two, it uses that word three times, whoredom. In the original Hebrew, it uses it four times in that verse. In other words, pay attention. Like, pay attention. This is real. We're not making this up. We're not trying to soften things. You know why it's so real and it's so, like, stern? It's so direct? You know why? Because your soul depends on it. Because eternity in the kingdom of God depends on it. Now, Manny, Pastor Manny, you're supposed to love everybody and you're supposed to tell them something that's not going to hurt them too much or it's not going to offend them. And see, the thing about that is that I'm not trying to offend anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. I want to be everybody's friend. I I do. I've tried to be everybody's friend. I don't want to say things that when some people leave worship, they go, God, yeah, Pastor Manny... He just he just makes me feel bad, and I'm going to go. I didn't, you know, that was not my intent. In fact, you should feel good. You should be rejoicing because you came and worshipped the true and living God, and He's feeding you truth, and He's wanting you to come to Him. He's 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 welcoming you with open arms to come to Him, as He loves you with His amazing love. But to know. Truth, you got to know the lie, the lie of the world. To know divine truth, you got to know the consequence of that truth. God is essentially calling them to return to Him. He's calling the Northern Kingdom that is, that's engulfed in spiritual adultery to come to return to Him in repentance. What does that mean? Well, it means that they realize, hey, look, I have been worshiping the world. I realize that I have been looking to the world for my happiness and not to the true and living God. So repent. You see it. You see it for what it is. You turn away and you come back to him. Repenting. Realizing it. Telling him that you come in repentance. They, God is telling them, to turn to him come back to him in repentance. This is a big warning for the northern kingdom. And if they don't, they're going to suffer the consequences of their infidelity. Just like a marriage. The conse- What's the consequence of infidelity in a marriage? Divorce. The picture, or to paint a picture, Paint a vivid picture and image of what God is saying as He commands, God is saying to the nation, the northern kingdom. God commands Hosea to go and marry a harlot, a prostitute, a worldly person who has defiled herself and had intimate relations with multiple sexual partners. That is as blunt as it can get. That is about as clear as you could put something. It it is extremely graphic. In the Hebrew, it's even more graphic than you can imagine. It is intended to be vivid and explicit. Why? Because this is how personal of a relationship Christ has with us. This is how personal a relationship God has with his people. It is personal. When you think that you could trick God or that you could do what you want and God's still going to love you, think again. Think again. You know, the thing about that is that because you love him more than anything, you can imagine more than anyone else because you love him so much, don't you realize the blessing that that brings you? The, the, The intimacy with the living God brings you happiness and hope regardless of what situation you may encounter you have this this intimate relationship with God himself and so whatever hurdle comes across your life it, you're going to overcome it it's not going to defeat you that is intimate that's a loving relationship that's the amazing love that God gives us in Christ and only In Christ. This is the marriage of the Lamb of God with his bride. Hosea is obedient to God. So he does that. He goes and he marries a harlot. He finds this promiscuous woman named Gomer. And and Gomer's going to conceive three different times, bearing him three different children. Now it's going to get interesting because God's going to use that for his purposes to warn his people. The, to, God uses it to emphasize the evil of spiritual adultery. He uses people, his people. He, God is God. Those children are his creation. They're his. God gives each of the children of Hosea and Gomer, And there's question marks of two of those children, whether they're his or not. God gives each of the children names that define that can define his anger against his people, against the people. The names, these names are basically portents or 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 curses or or warnings given to the people. And they're laid out as a crescendo, right? A crescendo is like when you get up, this one's here and you go up. That's a crescendo, right? God, yes. Thank you. I got amen on this side here in aisle one. Okay. Because I know some of y'all are trying to fall asleep on me. I'm gonna go stand next to you because we're so close, I can go right here. I go right here. <laughs> I know, I know, Anthony would love me for that. <laughs> Sometimes i want to come up here and sing with them, but I would ruin all that. Anyway, let's get back on track. Okay, so these are warnings, right? The, the names of these children, these children, God is using them as warnings, uh, curses, that crescendo, they get bigger, they, they, they go higher, they climax to the very climax. They get louder and louder. In verses 3 uh, three two, through 5, verses 3 through 5 tell us that Gomer conceived and bore a son. And the Lord called his name Jezreel, Jezreel, which means God will sow. God will sow the sower, the sow. The name Jezreel carries a significant historical and prophetic connotation. The people would have known about Jezreel. Jezreel was a place in ancient Israel associated with various events in Israel's history including military conflicts, including bloodshed and the judgment of God, Israel. The name Jezreel serves as a warning to the nation of Israel about the consequences of their disobedience and their departure from God's way. Do you think that God has given us warnings like Manny, don't do that. Manny, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now I'm using Manny because it's me. I can use Manny, I don't want to offend anybody, but but I'm using myself to let you know that I'm a true believer. I know that God gotta save me. But what if I stumble and fall? God would tell, Manny, don't. Don't, 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 don't. You're going to suffer the consequences if you do it. And what happens? Bang! It happens. I suffer the consequence. Bad things happen. That's what's going on. That's what's going to happen. These are warnings. The name Jezreel is symbolic. It's a symbolic act. Meant to convey the message that God would hold His people accountable for their actions. We, in, on this side of glory, will be held accountable for our actions. There's a there's a message under that. Are you hearing it? We're going to be held accountable for our actions, Christian. And if you're a true believer, if you're Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're one of God's people, you are... you were, you were. You were chosen. Think about this, okay, for a second. This is how deep this goes. It's hard to understand. Because I was chosen, and I wandered off, and I'm being held held accountable now, and I'm suffering the consequence, I'm gonna be saved. He's gonna pull me out of the fire. How is that possible? How is that possible? Shouldn't God just let me go, condemn condemn me to eternal damnation? Hey, who's in charge? God's in charge. That doesn't give me an excuse to do this. I I will suffer the consequence, but the blood of Christ is going to save me. If you're chosen, if you're among those who believe in the Lord. So let's keep going. Okay, so as we continue next, we see that Gomer conceives again and bears a daughter. The Lord names her Loruhama. Loruhama, which means no mercy or no pity. This prophetic name assigned by God indicates that he will withdraw his compassion and mercy for Israel because of the people's sin. Can you imagine? Think about this. This is your God's people and God is saying, oh, oh, I have no mercy on you. I'm not going to have any compassion. No mercy. No pity. No mercy of That's what we... I mean if he didn't have mercy and pity for us, we're doomed. That's horrible stuff. It's enough to drive to make your your your, your knees quake. Tremble with fear. And for whatever reason, it didn't it wasn't enough to get them to turn away from their spiritual adultery. So when Lo-Rahama was weaned by Gomer, she conceived again and bore a son, another son, a second son. And the Lord called his name Lo-am, Lo-Ami, Lo-Ami, which means not my people. By the way, the Lo in front of the, the word, the name, it means opposite. It turns it opposite. So like uh rahami means mercy. To put Lo in front of it means no mercy. And so, Lo-Ami means not my people. lo well, means my people. But to put Lo in front of it, so you see how it's working here? Now he's turning his back. He's turning everything around. And he's named this son, not my people. You are not my people. I am not your God. What horrible, what horror. I, I would just want to sit there and just like ask, Beg him to take me home. I don't. I don't want to walk anymore. I don't want to live anymore. How can he not be my God? Perish the thought. Was that enough? Was that enough to stop them from committing spiritual adultery? It wasn't. It was that God's judgment comes upon the northern kingdom, and they're taken into captivity. We know the story; they're taken into captivity by the by the Assyrians. And you know what happens to the northern kingdom? Do y'all know what happens to the northern kingdom? It ceases to exist. It ceases to exist. They're they're dispersed throughout the, the world back then, basically. They disappear. Uh, that's why sometimes you hear about hey, what about those lost tribes of Israel? Whatever happened to those guys? When well, they're in the world, they just dispersed. Now, some went to the southern kingdom, and eventually, the southern kingdom was called Israel. They ceased to exist. What a warning! What a warning this is for us as Christians. But here's what we rejoice in. The the God is a loving and merciful God. His love is truly amazing. In verse 10 and 11, amidst the horrifying proclamation, we see hope in God's amazing love. These two verses, in these two verses, we see an oracle or prophecy being made even beyond the fall of the Northern Kingdom, even beyond the fall. God makes a promise that brings forth a family reunion. It mentions that that the sands of the sea, which cannot neither be measured or counted. It talks about how the nation of Israel, how God's people are going to be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be counted. Well, that takes us back to Abraham. Now Abraham wasn't a Jew. Now through the loyalty of Abraham the nation came, but it goes back to the to Abraham and it goes and it falls. This promise falls on the children of the promise. The children of the promise. So eventually the brothers, the northernness of the kingdom, will come and their messiah will show up. And through the messiah, the Gentiles will now be a part. This is a picture. This is a picture of, of how God's love works. How his his love is amazing. God holds on to His promise, and doesn't let it go. God, this promise that is given to the children, children of the promise. God's picture. So here's a big question for you personally to ponder: Are you committing spiritual adultery? Are you committing spiritual adultery. Now, I realize some of you guys are enough to be married, but it's something to think about because you know about marriage. Here's what James says, okay, for those of you who are married, or even those who are not. This is what James says, James 4. 4. It says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God that's powerful Remember what James is saying it's not that you can't you're, you're 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 in the world you are It's not that you don't pray for the world you do we do It's not that you pray for for the government officials and other people kings or whatever you pray for them but you keep it where it needs to be. God is always first and foremost. You do not put the world. You do not think about this, this Russian satellite that's going up there, a Russian weapon that's going to go up there and destroy all the satellites and maybe destroy us. You don't put your hope in in, in the politicians of the world. You put your hope in the Lord and what will happen will be what the Lord wants to happen and what happens to you and me will be what he deems and he wants to happen in our trust. Our trust is in him. See, that's the critical issue. Despite our unfaithfulness, God's amazing love will prevail. That's good news. See, the problem we have is, do you know if you're saved or not? That's the problem we have. But if you've given your life to Christ, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if he has started impacting your life and things are starting to change, even if your world was turned completely upside down, there's an assurance there because that's the Holy Spirit at work. And that's his amazing love. Even if we commit spiritual adultery, even if we fall, we will be saved. How does God accomplish that? He accomplishes it through his Son, through the blood, through the blood of his only begotten son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is amazing stuff. The blood of the most righteous one, Jesus Christ, even the most hated sinner of spiritual adultery against the most high God can be forgiven by the blood of Christ. Do you believe in him? Jesus Christ is the embodiment, of God's amazing love. Everyone who believes in him shall shall be the people of the living God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. You've been listening to Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.